0: So on today's podcast, I have back on my friend Matt Bateman. Uh, I really like Matt. Uh, He hunts all over the West with his bow, all different species, hunts Alaska, uh, goes on a bunch of big adventures, but we really share a love for hunting mule deer. Uh, So that's what we talk about on today's podcast. We talk about consistency, what it takes, our mindset behind it. We dive deep into the red zone, inside 200 yards, inside 100 yards, Uh, some of the nuances of the stock, nuances of our mindset. Uh, and then we we also talk about broadheads. So we give the science behind broadheads, uh, try to give the pros and the cons and, and some of our personal preferences. And so uh, it's a great podcast. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it, too. I want to thank Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company, I'm part of their subscription service. So every month I get a new flavor of coffee or a new roast of coffee. Uh, they're all absolutely amazing. Some of the best roasts I've ever had. I really look forward to it each and every month. And so you can be part of their subscription. Uh, you can also just buy uh, uh, certain kinds of their roasts that you like. Uh, they've got a, got a bunch of cool designs, bunch of cool bags on it. And then you can also buy their instant coffee. So... Their instant coffee is what blows me away because it's actual freeze dried roasted coffee. Uh, when I add it to my coffee when I'm backpacking, it's just super light. It tastes really good, and I feel really good on it. Uh, I've tried some some other instant coffee, and um, you know I can kind of get a gut ache or something like that, but nothing with this Black Rifle. I feel amazing on it, and so uh, you can pick up their instant packets. They also have tea bags. Uh, the tea bags you soak in hot water and gets your uh, makes your coffee right there in front of you. So if you're in the market for some coffee, make sure to check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. I also want to thank Outdoor Edge Knives. Uh, outdoor Edge Knives are a replaceable blade knife, and they're built burly. Like you don't break blades on these, and and these are amazing. It, you know, no longer do I have to pack multiple knives and a sharpener to butcher an elk. I can just bring one. A lightweight knife uh, with a few blades in my pack, and I'm good to go. And I can do a whole deer, whole antelope with one blade. Uh, Elk have a little bit thicker hide. Seems to take me a couple blades to get through an elk and get it all caped out. Uh, But just amazing. And I think these knives actually keep it safer as they're sharper and you don't have to force anything. Uh, So just amazing. Make sure to check them out. Outdoor Edge Knives. I also want to thank Swagger Bipods. Swagger bipods are an intuitive bi- uh, bipod that that moves with you, that you can swivel on top of. Uh, they have different models that have quick detach from your rifle. Uh, they also have shooting sticks, and they have different lengths. So you can get uh, bench rest all the way to a standing, uh, to a kneeling position, and To be accurate with the rifle, it's all about the rest. And these are great rests as they're spring loaded. So you've got this tension where you can adjust the legs to different widths to fit your, you know, the hillside that you're shooting on. You can also put them in front of you and kind of pull back into you. And as that animal walks, you can actually swivel on the top of that bipod to be able to stay on that animal and track it and make an accurate shot. So if you're in the market for uh, new bipod, new shooting sticks, make sure to check out Swagger. With that, over at Eastman's, we're coming up on that live speaking engagement. So it's going to be July 20th. It's going to be next Wednesday. Uh, So we're going to go, I've got uh, 45 minutes to an hour talk. Uh, Dan Picard also has a talk he's giving. Guy's going to be there. Ike's going to be there. Brandon Mason. So we're going to give these talks. We're also going to leave time for a question and answer, and then we're just going to be hanging out. There's a a dinner included in it, uh, so show up Wednesday. You can get your tickets at Fieldcraft Survival's website in uh, Heber City, Utah, and uh, we'll be there next Wednesday, so come hang out. We also have our brand new Mule Deer School launching. Oh my gosh, this has been a, a long time in the works, a bunch of information, and it's a, a video series that walks you through multiple chapters, uh, everything Mule Deer A to Z, from picking a unit, from drawing a tag, breaking down a unit, scouting, uh, from uh, hunting tactics to to. To the stock, to shooting with a bow, shooting with a rifle, processing game, absolutely everything in there. And so uh, it's great for a beginner. It's also great for a seasoned veteran, as I'm sure you'll pick up some tips and tactics into it. Uh, we were going to launch that. Um, it's going to be next week. So uh, hoping for Monday or Tuesday we'll have that launched. And um Ought to be a really cool course. I'm really proud at what we put together here. Just a ton of information, uh, hunting mule deer. So, this ought to be great. And with that, man, um, just working hard trying to get my odds and ends done and all my responsibilities here so I can cut these legs loose on an adventure. So, I uh, got a pocket full of tags and um, starting to make plans, get out and do some scouting. Uh, definitely getting my runs in and, and ripping that bow that Matthews is shooting so good for me. So I'm just getting really excited for season as I'm sure you guys are too. And, um, it's only, uh, less than a month away now for me for opening day. So pretty cool stuff. So, uh, with that, let's get into this podcast. Um, my buddy, Matt Bateman, just one of those consistent killers out there with his bow and arrow. I'm your host, Brian Barney Eastman's elevated. Here we go. Yeah, man. You're, um, it's amazing. Like you're one of the most consistent killers I know. And it's just, um, year after year, you know, you produce great critters and it's like, uh, uh, both of us just building our, our bow hunting skill set to get to a point to where when each season comes around, we put in the preparation, we put in the work and we expect to be successful. So it's like always really good to get on and compare notes with a guy like you.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, And uh, like you said, it's, it's been a lot of years of trial and error and putting work into it and preparing and, and, uh, you know, kind of feels like that's all finally come together to, to enjoy some, some success year in and year out and, and, uh, and, and still just absolutely have a lot of fun doing it. You know, um, it's just something that so passionate about and love doing and, 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 actually the older I've got, the more I just enjoy soaking it all in and, and sharing what knowledge I have and sharing my passion for the sport of archery and bow hunting. Um, I just feel like I enjoy it the whole picture of it more so than maybe when I was younger you know so it's it's kind of got to a stage where it's, it's just a lot of fun I still hunt super hard and do a lot of prep and and uh I'm as I'm as passionate and about being successful as ever but I think I've just become a little more dynamic in the fact that I just you know I could slow down a little bit and soak it all in and, and just really really appreciate the opportunities I have and, and enjoy it. So that that just makes it a lot funner.
0: Oh Matt, you're so spot on, man. Uh, me too. Like I, I was um, not that I didn't love it when I was young, but I was so driven to accomplish, so driven to to harvest that animal uh, that that sometimes I pushed a little too hard and didn't look up to appreciate the mountain views or appreciate the time I had. Uh, but it, but same as I as I get older, I just love it more and more, and I'm still driven. Like there's still a goal of arrowing a mature buck or arrowing a mature bowl, but I've just, um, I've fallen in love with like the entire process, like the, the work I put in, uh, I've fallen in love with my time in the mountains and being able to challenge myself. And I just, I, I don't have as much pressure on myself. Like I, I just, um. I'm confident in, in, in my in my skill set, and, and uh, I, I'm confident in my abilities, and, and I'm just gonna go out, and I'm gonna give the hunt all I have. And and a lot of times, even my unsuccessful hunts, or a lot of times my unsuccessful hunts, I enjoy more than my successful ones. Which you know, there's not a whole bunch of them throughout a season, but I really like those hunts that take me to my limit, physically right. and mentally. And I I, I like facing those tough challenges and not quitting and continuing to push forward and drive forward. So um, I, I think we're in similar paths in our journey, Matt, because it feels like you're speaking to me when you talk about enjoying it more. Uh, as we get older and I think that's like an important part of being good at it. it is not liking it for the the wrong reasons not liking it for clout or for um, you know to to earn somebody's respect or to do it for somebody else like I almost find uh, that I'm doing it nowadays for myself and for my love of the game which I always have it's just like uh, uh it just changes over time where I'm able to appreciate it more that the time that I have a field. are you the same?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I, uh, you know, like you said, it, it's not a my passion and the end goal to be successful and arrow a big trophy animal. That hasn't changed. So I haven't let off the gas there. You know, it's it's that's still the end goal and the drive. But but I'm just confident and comfortable in myself that that's not all there is to it. I can still look around and enjoy all of the preparation and all of the, the beauty around me and all the things that go into it. And I'm just comfortable. I'm just comfortable. I don't need, I don't need to feel like, um, like you said, like I'm doing it because I care what other people think or if other people feel like I'm successful. I'm I'm just totally comfortable in giving up my all and pushing myself to my personal limits. And, and, and in the end most of the time you and I find success each season right but those ones that push me really hard and and come harder just means so much more to me anymore um, so yeah I, I'm at the same stage I just really enjoying it all and and I don't have to punch my tag to, to have a great time and but as long as I walk away leaving it all on the table I, I'm content I am I'm, I'm I'm content and fulfilled personally and that's really what matters anymore. So
0: gosh, how much better does this like experience make us? Like um, you know, it it's you go through this, like when I first started bow hunting and I'd get a, a close encounter, or I'd get a chance. I you know, I was almost frantic to get that shot off to to make it happen. Like getting in bow range is one thing, getting a shot is another thing. Uh, but I've just found through experience, I'm just getting so much better at my close encounters, and a lot of it is, is I don't second guess myself. I just listen to my instincts, which are honed through experience, and so. Uh, but I, I'm just way more comfortable in this bow range, in these tight quarters. I'm way more comfortable. Uh, Being patient, waiting for the right shot, way more comfortable to let that animal walk away uh, than I am to force an issue as I know I can just continue to play the game. And I get – I get like – I know what I can get away with and what I can't nowadays, and I still mess up, and I still mess up stocks, but – Uh, I'm just way more comfortable being in bow range, less frantic and, and through experience. It just seems like I keep getting more and more patient in those clutch moments and it just serves me, uh, way better than it did in my early days, like trying to force angles or force shots or make something happen or get it before he spooks. Uh, do you notice that as well, that you are getting better and better with age and more patience?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, going back to just feeling comfortable and, and, and not, not feeling pressured. Um, I think, I think, well, I don't think, you know, mentally, mental preparedness and just having that, that level of, of natural, relaxed confidence um, has been such a big game changer for me versus maybe when I was a little younger and like you said, trying to force the issue, trying to, trying to be a little too aggressive or trying to force shots or opportunities when it just wasn't there, just being relaxed and being comfortable and being confident. Um, absolute game changer. Um, and it just lets me soak it in and enjoy it a lot more. Like, I, like you said, um, it's, it's uh, you know, I've missed plenty of big critters. I've screwed plenty of them up and, and I can live with that now. You know, I used to beat myself up so bad and I still, it still stings, right? But but I know if I stay in the zone and I I I stay relaxed and I do my thing and just just let my natural abilities and my knowledge that I've built over the last several decades of bow hunting and close encounters, if I let those things take over and I just stay calm and and it just comes together so much easier and more natural and and just more efficient for sure. It just has made me an overall better bow hunter and again i just enjoy it more i used to get so so uptight and strung out and and worried and like i said forcing it that i I just was stressed out in those scenarios and and yeah some of them i still made it work and i still caught my critter but but i didn't looking back i didn't just soak it all in and really enjoy that that moment of of uh or that scenario where I was in close and tight and, and it's just such a cool thing to be a part of And with a bow in hand, you know, I, I, I feel like it makes me, I'm way better now, like you said, but I'm also just love it so much more because I can take my time and relax and enjoy it. So
0: Dude, makes total sense. I I say that as a bow hunter, like the only reason uh, I'm anything in the bow hunting world is because I've failed more than most guys. I've missed (laughs) shots, I've messed up stocks, like every way you can mess up an encounter on a big critter, I've done it, and and you learn from it, but But you're right in that my early days I would really beat myself up, and I'd be focusing on this failure, which is the wrong thing. Like when you make a mistake, uh, you know, now I've made so many of it. Like if I make a mistake, it's it's no big deal. I can brush it off. I can learn from it. Like you say, it's important to learn from those scenarios or learn from those mistakes and go, gosh, I I pushed that a little too hard. Or, man, that win wasn't quite right. I probably should have sat back and waited for it. I can learn from it. And then I just move on. Like I, I've seen guys get so upset and throw their bow or throw their gear or throw their – and and in the bow hunting world, like failure is a prerequisite. You are going to fail. And so the quicker you can just learn from it, get over it, and go create another encounter, the the quicker you're going to notch your tag and, and – um, So I thought that was really important. And then I I also just love how you talk about the enjoyment of the game. Like uh, we used to be so frantic and push so hard for success that you didn't soak it in. And you talked about soaking in the experience being in bow range. Like that is the reason me and you bow hunt. Like, it's to get close. It's to get a stock. It's to get a chance to match wits with these animals. And so, like, when I get a stock on a trophy critter, on a critter that I want to take with my bow and arrow, like, that's the price of admission for me. That's the reason I paid thousands of dollars in gas and tags and food and took off work and I'm away from my family is just to get close. And it's like this. This chance to interact with nature in these occurrences, you know, especially on public land, they're rare. Like, sometimes you have to put in five six seven days ten days to create this encounter to create this this epic hunting where the bulls are bugling all around you and you're you're in the mountains with these elk and you get a chance to try to close in on a giant six point that you want to kill like like that those are the feelings that make me feel alive and anymore nowadays whether i'm successful or not like i just i i feel uh, such gratitude for that encounter or that chance or to be able to see that with my eyes that not everybody gets to see. And once you feel that, and once you fall in love with it, you're able to, you're, you're willing to do whatever it takes to recreate that, that scenario or that encounter, whether that's on, you know, a giant buck or a giant bull. You just described that like perfectly. That is the reason we do it is to get close and have a chance at them
1: yeah for sure that I feel like that that build up and all the prep and all the work and all the effort and that build up to those close encounters that's that being close and being tight and and soaking that in that's actually for me personally that's kind of the climax there once I kill the animal and you know post post shot there's almost a little bit of a I'm ecstatic right that I succeeded but man, the buildup and the climax for me is that moment of it's all built up and all the works come together and, and I've got in close and tight and having that experience up close and personal with that, that trophy critter. That's that's really the, the pinnacle for me personally. And, and I can walk away now. You know, you have those encounters. Here's the difference. I used to have those encounters and I'd get close and I'd get all excited and, and it didn't come together, the wind swirl or whatever. I didn't get my shot. And I walked away saying, "Man, that sucked." Now that happens, I walk away saying, "Dude, that was so awesome." I was, I was tight. I was, you know what I mean. That's the difference. I feel like where I've come, I can look at those those encounters and those situations as just being awesome, even if I don't get the shot off. Versus I used to look at it and be so upset that I didn't get the shot off, but that's what I was focused on. And 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 mentally, it would throw me back. And and I've seen it ruin guys hunts you know they get they get frustrated or upset and and i can move on from that and just love the experience and, and know that i've always been a huge huge believer and advocate that y- you just keep grinding with a good attitude and, and opportunities will come again you know i mean it's it's not the end of the world and and i'll get another crack i know i'm going to put in the work i know i'm going to keep trying i know i'm going to keep grinding and just loving it and i'll sure there's plenty that got away, but there's plenty that didn't either, and, I, and I'm going to find those chances and, and make them work.
0: So, that's spot on, man. It, yeah, um, guys that are su- successful. Uh, they, they have persistence, you know, they just keep pushing, they keep grinding. And it, I think it pertains to, to both uh, you and I is that we just keep grinding. And a lot of guys get their close encounter on a good muley buck or a good bull and they get in close and it doesn't come together. And they go, well, that's it. That was my chance. That was my close call. I've worked for a week to get it. My hunt's over. And they they either stop putting forth the effort or call it quits altogether because they had their close chance and they didn't kill it and the difference is that me and you we can fail or we can have a close encounter that doesn't come together and we just get our head right and we start working to create another opportunity it's like you you keep theorizing okay well that didn't work out do i think i can catch this buck again do i think he'll return here do i need to move to a new area where do i need to glass and and that um like it's it's almost uh uh Uh, trying to recreate it. And it's amazing. Like sometimes it can take five, six, seven days to create that one opportunity. It doesn't come together. And maybe you've only got a couple days left. It'd be easy to throw in the towel, but instead you continue to push and continue to, to, to grind. And it's amazing. You'll just create another opportunity and that opportunity, you'll put a perfect arrow in them. And then it's like this beautiful season or this beautiful hunt that came together all just because of our mindset. And I think that's like to to guys out there that want to be consistently successful, uh, it all starts and end with, ends with your mind. It's like just making up your mind that you want to be a good bow hunter and then putting in the work to get to that point and then being able to, to fail and pick yourself back up and continue to put forth effort. And um, eventually that pays off. And I think that's like my, my one key to success is that I'm persistent. I just, I mean, last year for my bowl, I think I had 20-some days in, and I was hunting a snowstorm in October, the rut's almost over, but I continued to grind, and I got into bow range of one shooter elk last year, and I was able to make it happen. And you get better at, like, capitalizing on opportunities, too. It's the more you hunt, the more you develop your hunting instincts, the more keen you get, the better decision-making uh, the the better at decisions you're going to get and, and you have to make a hundred right decisions for it to come together but after you've done it for so long it's like second nature and you develop these hunting instincts where you make good decisions and then you're able to capitalize on a lot of these encounters when you do find a big bull or you do find a big buck uh, you know you have the skill set to be able to move in make the right decisions and, and hopefully get a chance at them.
1: Yeah 100% it's Persistence. Everyone asks, like, what's the secret formula in it? It's just work, effort, and persistence, and 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 you know, I, I I try to make it a point, no matter what I'm doing, whether that's bow hunting or fishing or whatever, to to mentally keep my head in the game and keep myself in a good middle place, but keep myself in that. In, in the in the strike zone as often as possible, and that that means I don't waste time. I'm I'm, I if I screw up an opportunity, like you said, you you quickly move on and start strategizing. Okay, what's my next move? I don't walk back to camp with my head hung low. I just I sit there for a minute and soak it in and say, okay, why did that go wrong and what happened and what could I have done better and 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 then okay, what's my next, what's my next move? Can I get on that deer again? Um, what, how can I maximize my effort for the next couple hours before dark, whatever. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short in general. We all have different degrees of, of, I guess, different degrees of time and, and to go hunting. And, and we need to maximize every minute we have. We, guys like you and I don't sleep in when we have the opportunity to go hunt for a morning. We don't, we don't sulk when we screw up an opportunity and cut our hunt two days short. We just grind it out, keep ourselves mentally in the game and 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 put in effort as much as we possibly can with the time we're given. There's always gonna be guys that have more time and more money, right? But with what we have to work with, we got a week or we got a morning or you got two hours, we go get after it and and just being persistent and getting after it with the time you have and maximizing your efforts and being smart about it and keeping yourself mentally engaged and not letting down mentally, um, letting your guard down. I've screwed up in the past. Just, you know, I checked out for a couple hours and all of a sudden I screwed up an opportunity because my head wasn't there. Um, So yeah, I, I just, if I could give anyone any advice is, is whether you have a day or whether you have a week or whether you have an hour, utilize that time to get after it and be persistent and the law of averages will come together, man. It, it, the more time spent in field and the more time you put yourself in good situations, the more opportunities you're going to end up having. And the more times you do that, the more natural it becomes, like you said, and you just build those instincts and you build those. It just comes natural and you be, become more and more efficient with that short time you have. And and eventually you find yourself at a point where it's just natural. You just don't ever think about quitting. You just stay persistent to the very end on every hunt you have, um, you know. And you don't ever give up. And and that's the formula to success. Period. I don't I don't think there's any other any other formula to consistency and success.
0: That's it's such great advice for guys. The best advice for guys. Uh. But, um. It, it's it's just. Absolutely spot on. Uh, that's it. And so, like, um, so so, what would you say, like, uh, when you when you get a stock, um, it's so important to like capitalize on these opportunities, and it is just about honing those skills and make decisions in real time. Uh, but it is there something that's really improved your stocking skills, like whether to stock or not to stock, or uh, how slow you're moving or is there any advice you can give for guys like once they finally get a play and and they're inside a couple hundred yards like uh, uh, making a good game plan? How important is that to you or do you adapt to the situation you're given once you get over there and adapt your plan or maybe just give me some tips on like your uh, like how you would go about stalking a trophy animal?
1: Yeah, so as you know, I mean, it's there's. There's always a lot of factors and variables come into play when you're trying to to stalk a trophy animal and most of my, you know, when I talk about stalking trophy animal, instantly my mind goes to the old here right? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I stalk and, and hunt a lot of other species, but that that's the one that really comes to mind. Your traditional, the animal that you, you put in time behind the glass and locate and put them to bed and, and try and make your move. But, but I, yeah, I think it's absolutely important to, to look over the scenario real well. I mean, I don't rush it for sure. That's one thing I don't, I don't watch a bed lay down a deer lay down and take off running. Right. I I'll sit there if it's just me or if it's me and Kip, my hunting partner, I hunt a lot with we'll, we'll study it out. We'll bounce ideas off each other. Heck, if he's not there a lot of times I'll even send him a message of the scenario and 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 it's really thoroughly thought out. We may spend an hour or I may spend an hour just just kind of going over every scenario in my mind and coming up with a game plan that I commit to, you know, because I if I'm alone you know, once I once I go, I know I'm not gonna have a visual. So I have a I have a you know and i also take into account that looking at this buck bedded over there is going to look different once i get over there so what kind of references can i mentally give myself or snap a picture on my phone which is a great idea um so that once i get over there you know sometimes you've been there you get over there and you you get within the 100 200 yards and it looks totally different coming in from above or from the side or whatever your approach is and Now you're not a hundred percent sure. So I'll I'll have you know, I'll pick out Reference points. I'll, I'll take a picture of the the lay, lay of the land so that I can see exactly where I am and and So I have a better picture once I get over there and it looks totally different, but I go in committed with okay Here's what I'm going to do obviously first and foremost playing the wind um, you know waiting for those those thermals to change or 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 figuring out how my best approach is to to not let the deer win me none of us are going to beat a mule deer's nose period so that's that's the first factor um then i'm worried about okay what's what's my approach that's going to conceal me from eyesight but but you know this you can get away with with you know, if a, if a deer's alone and bedded up, you can get away with going through some zone where, where if he turns his head or whatever, it can be, he can get a visual on you if, if you keep your noise down and you keep your movement super slow. But I, I go into it. I get, I get, I like to get into that 100, 100 yard zone fairly, fairly quick and efficiently. I try and find a path there, and then from there, it's, it's absolute. Um, I get myself in a middle zone of, you know, I might put my socks on or my leather socks, taquasins on or whatever I'm going to do. Just I go through a process of dropping my pack of, of, and becoming as stealthy and quiet as I can. And, and that's where, um, you know, that last 50 yards is, is the key. I can, get, I can get into 100, 150 yards Pretty much every time. I I think you'd probably concur with that. Absolutely. Um, That's the easy part. That last 40 to 50 yards is, is game time. And I, uh, one of the biggest things I do is, is I, I stop and I really try to get myself in a mental zone you know, where I'm not rushing, where my mind's clear, where I'm absolutely focused on nothing but that deer. I make sure I'm, you know, I, I, I sit and almost meditate for a minute, get myself in a middle zone to where where you're not thinking about things back home. You're not thinking about anything else. You're just 100 percent. It's you and that that old cagey old deer, And I'm just keened into every. Sound and every movement and every movement I make and he makes, um, and but but yeah I have a plan I go in like that but I, I I I killed more animals being able to adapt and and get over there and and see the situation isn't quite right and I need to change my approach or I need to change my tactic a little bit um, or every once in a while I get there and realize I I don't think I can close this last 40 yards without, without screwing this up. So I'm going to change my tactic and I'm going to, I'm going to hang tight and see what happens for a couple hours, you know, but being able to adjust and adapt is absolutely important. But, but yeah, I don't think there's any real secrets. It, it's just for me, if I ever find myself not mentally in the zone, that's when I screwed up. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I used to do this a lot. I would, I would get anxious and start, start hurrying a little too much. Really, got to slow it down. Everything, your, your breathing, your motion, your, your thought process. Um, if I can slow it down to a snail's pace, that last 40, 50 yards, and just be really, really thorough, um, that's when I find my best success. So, um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest advice for me is you. Is, is taking it slow and taking your time from the very get go. I think a lot of guys rush in too quick without a real sound game plan. They rush in too quick without really studying it out and really thinking it through. I've been there to where I get over there and I'm like, dang, I should have, I should have thought this out a little more and come around this way, or I should have spent a little more time thinking this out or taking a pictures because I, you know, so just from the very get go when you're going to go on a stock, slow it down. You generally even, even, even when it comes to taking your shot, be patient. You generally have more time than you think. Um, you generally have more time to to take your time and make a good shot and make a good stock. And and I'd say more stocks are blown by people rushing it a little bit than anything, for sure. Not just being you know, real slow and thorough. Um, you know, I'll make an all-day-old deal out of it if I need to, you know, so... Um, that's my biggest piece of advice is absolutely just slowing it down from the very get-go spending a little extra time thinking it out and studying it out and in every possible which scenario that could get thrown at you trying to play that in your mind um i feel like that's what i'm good at and that's why i succeed when i'm set up you know i i just become natural for me at this point to just play those scenarios through um and and then just let instinct take over from that point.
0: Oh, that's, Not... a, that's amazing to listen to, Matt. It's um you say there's no secrets, but it's just um you've committed your whole life to bow hunting, so it's like second nature to you. But like just some of the things you discuss and talk about and the way you talk about it is, is so spot on to being successful. So like you say, not rushing a stock, not just seeing a giant buck and going for him, like really wait, surveying the scenario, uh, making your best game plan, your best bet to get in close to that buck. And you, you almost see a buck in a spot and it's like, you, you try to play out the scenarios okay which way is the wind okay which way can i approach what looks good from here and then like you said taking a picture marking it on on x where you think the buck is and where your approach will come from uh making sure that your wind is dialed and that the variables are are on your side of things when you are going to go all in uh and then once you uh decide to go for a stock you're right like um you it's no shortcuts so if you think that buck's gonna see you he's probably gonna see you like you can't walk through openings down below but just like you said you can get away with approaching through an open hillside if you keep tabs on which way that buck's looking and you move through the shadows and you you really take your time like you slow your movements down when you get close like the the hands of the clock they won't pick you out or pick up that movement and um so I thought that was really important, and I I love at a, at a hundred yards or 150 or whatever uh, the ungulation will give to you, or the terrain will give to you. I love how you say you get your mind right. Like for some reason, and maybe it's our 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 modern day and age of being a human where everything's so rushed and instant gratification, and like you almost get there, and it, at first like. Earlier in my career, my brain would be screaming at me saying, hurry up and get there. Hurry up and get to that edge and see if that buck's there. Or that buck's probably moved off. He's probably not bedded there. It's almost like your brain's trying to play tricks on you to get you to rush it, to get you to mess it up. And anymore, I get to that 100, 150-yard mark, and just like you... I got to get my mind right, and I just think to myself, it's not going to be me that screws this up. If that deer isn't there when I get there, that's fine. But I'm not going to blow out that deer trying to rush to that spot or trying to rush this stock to hurry up and kill that buck. I- I'm just going to move at my pace that uh, you know, and, and and you like I get to learn how much noise I can get away with or how much movement I can get away with, and and so. As I'm closing in, I just get slower and slower the closer I get. And I'm determined to not have me be the one that's going to screw it up. And sometimes another buck will pick me out or sometimes I do get caught. But I'm going to do everything in my power to really get my head right, to really close in slowly on those animals and not be the one that screws it up. And and just like you said on the shot too – uh, uh you know you you learn your lesson by rushing a few shots and some work out and some don't but but then you realize that you know it, I, I just have that same realization is either I'm going to hit this buck perfect or I'm not going to shoot. There's no reason for me to rush a shot and miss this buck. And so if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through my process and I'm going to execute a quality shot because when I execute a quality shot, animals die. You know. And so like you almost got to wrap your brain around this. Like Again, it comes down to that, that mental side of things, but um, – man, I mean, that's, that's what makes us feel alive is like getting a chance at one of our target bucks like that. And it's not easy. They've evolved for thousands of years of avoiding mountain lions that are way sneakier than I can ever be. And so like, um, uh, you, you just have to do everything in your power, uh, to, to try to give yourself the best chance to harvest that animal. And so like so much of what you said, it becomes second nature to you, but all of this is like important for young bow hunters to learn and the. You, know, you can shorten that learning curve. You can you can realize these, these shortcomings and downfalls as me and you discuss it and talk about it, things that we did when we were younger bow hunters, places where we've messed up, getting our mind right. Like all of a sudden guys can take this and apply it to their own bow hunting and their own stocks, and they can learn quicker. They don't have to go through all the failures that me and you went through. They can go through one or two and get the point, and like it's going to be this evolution, this next-generation hunters that can learn from that and get that mindset and can put in the work, uh, they'll, they'll achieve success uh, way sooner than you or I did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like you said, I, I love the point of of just being focused on controlling what you can control. You know, everything that's within your control, don't screw it up. I mean, you, you can't control if a, a deer you didn't know there. Was there all of a sudden bust you, or you know, a storm rolls through and the thermals change or the wind changes, and you there's certain things out of your hands, but focus on focus on you not messing it up, you controlling everything that's within your control. And, uh, yeah, like you said, I, and like you said, for those that are new to it or are trying to learn, um, you know, study it out and. and gain the knowledge or, or experience or from guys like us that have experienced all. And I can guarantee you every scenario, everything tactic I've talked about, I've screwed up so many times, um, finally to a point where, where my checklist is pretty natural. When I go do it now, I don't have to, I don't have to think it all through. It just comes naturally. All those things we're discussing, but it wasn't always that way. I can tell you that. And, and uh, when I was younger, I didn't have podcasts or, or the internet, to just research and learn and learn and study and and figure it out so I don't have to make those same mistakes over and over on the mountain. So yeah, all great points, Brian, and, and all awesome stuff for sure, what we live for.
0: Oh, and I also really like that you said uh, adapt to the conditions you're given. Like you, you gotta adapt. Like you get over there, and you may have the best plan from the hillside across, but you're right; it always looks different when you get there. Like you may have had this landmark of this red tree, and then you get over there, and there's five red trees. But that's where your picture, where you're uh, on X, where making a good game plan, and you really know where that buck is, and then you just have to adapt in real time. Like you may come in and and maybe you wanted to approach from above but now when you're on that hillside it's like no i'm gonna be exposed i gotta come over to the left a little bit more of that shoot or uh you know maybe i gotta stay in these shadows more but it's so important to be able to adapt your game plan as you're closing in because even like the best laid game plan it's like it You still have to change it as you get over there. You're going to get there and see that hillside. Maybe it rolls over faster than you thought or it exposes you faster. And so you have to be willing to adapt. And I think it's really important. Like one of the best tips I could give is don't stalk till failure. I see so many guys that are stalking a buck that just keep getting closer and closer and closer. And then they blow that deer out. Like it's really important to keep your element of surprise and get inside your effective range and then let things develop, let things happen. Don't force them. Like uh, keeping the element of surprise is, is quite possibly the most important thing on a stock. And so, you know, I think, um, you, you, You know, you mentioned it early. Whether it's gonna take all day to do this stock, you commit to it. Whatever it takes on this buck, you know, you you're you're gonna do whatever time it takes. And I've had to sit four hours on a bedded buck before, which is an eternity when you're sitting out there. It's like really tough to do. Uh, But the key is to keep the element of surprise. Don't stock until you blow that buck out. Hold up inside your effective range, or sometimes like the situation you're going to start moving in and you're exposed and you realize that you're not going to be able to get into bow range in that right. scenario. I'll just hold up and keep in striking distance and I'll let the scenario develop. I'll let those bucks get on their feet, maybe move beds, maybe move over and I'll, I'll get on them in the evening, but I'm just going to continue to try to keep that element a surprise and trying to hold up, not give myself away. And like, even if I've got a, a buck that's, that's bedded behind a tree You know, instead of trying to move to my left and make these big movements and get a shot at him in my bed, you know, I may play that where I don't want to expose myself to his head or to his eyes or give him a chance to see me. I'm just going to hold up here. I'm in bow range. And then I'm going to let that buck get up and walk out and make that buck let the make the last move. Like just playing things, like slow playing things and being patient and letting those scenarios develop, uh, it's so crucial to consistently getting good arrows in them. It just seems like when I force too hard or push too hard or stalk to failure, I blow it up before it could ever happen. And then I look at that scenario and go, gosh, I should have been more patient. I should have just waited. I should have let things happen. And when I do that, it doesn't work out every time. Time, but uh, it, it works out more times than not for me, just being patient, and letting situations develop.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I alluded to that earlier. Just getting yourself in the zone—I call that zone that that hundred-yard range. It's not necessarily my effective shooting range, but that's in the zone where things develop and you end up getting opportunities. You know, and, and knowing when to push or, or not push, knowing when to—you know—I just need to stop and hang up here. Because, like you said, you're not gonna, you can't force yourself. Um, there, there's a point where, if you push further, you're you're gonna blow it. And knowing where that point is, um, whether that's stopping prior to your effective bow range, or you're within your bow range but you. You were initially thinking you wanted to get closer, but once you get there and survey the situation, you realize that's not going to happen. Just knowing when to hang up and let things develop is so important. And that's actually a tactic I use a ton when I spot stock antelope. Um, because spot stock antelope, getting getting to 40, 50 yards spot stock on an antelope is tough. But, but I can get into that 100, 120 yard range and, and hang tight and let it develop. I use that a ton with antelope because you know they're chasing each other sometimes in the rut or they just move a lot. They're just so inconsistent. I I use that tactic an absolute ton with with certain species, especially antelope. Is just get it get get to that zone I call it, the 100 120 yard zone to where man I just need to move 30 40 yards closer and I got my shot and. And stay hidden, stay concealed, don't give up your location, and good things happen if you're in the zone. So,
0: man, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, such great advice. It's so fun to talk in depth. But it'd be an absolute crime if I didn't talk to you a little bit about broadheads, being that you've worked for Grim Reaper for as long as I've known you. And, and I have to tell you, like, um, those those Grim Reaper broadheads, like, I've tried other things throughout the years. But the one consistent thing to my bow hunting success is your guys' broadheads. Like, um, I found them, like... I mean, I said I've known you for 10 years. I probably found him 15 years ago. I've seen so many animals die from that Grim Reaper expandable, you know, and they're in open uh, – they open from the front of the broadhead, but your guys' broadheads penetrate so well. Uh, devastating damage, and then they're so accurate, they're so aerodynamic that they don't catch much wind. Because broadheads, no matter expandables or a fixed blade, is going to catch more wind on the front of your arrow and make it less forgiving. Uh, but I find that that your grim reaper heads, um, you know, they they are forgiving. Like don't you know everybody wants them to fly exactly like a field point, but with any blades or anything out front, they're going to be less forgiving. But I just find that your broadheads fly so good for me they're so accurate and for me it's like i just need them to hit where i'm aiming and those have always done the job and people ask me about using expandables for elk and there's been this this latest craze where everybody wants to shoot this super heavy arrow and everybody wants to shoot uh, a fixed blade head for elk and I can't get through the shoulder, whether I'm an expandable or a fixed blade, in the right spot. Like, I can get through right. the weak right. part of the shoulder, but I'm a 26 half inch draw length. Like, for me, it's about hitting an elk in the lungs, heart, or liver, and he dies. Right. And if I don't hit that spot, you know, you maybe have a 10% chance to get him. And your broadheads have always been so accurate. I've used the practice heads. I've used the broadheads, and I've probably seen... Fifteen bulls died just from myself and through my group of buddies, you know, I've transferred them all over to using those heads, and I still recommend those heads to this day to anybody that asks just because I've seen uh, uh, so many animals die from them. And, man, there's – um, I have a, a Montana moose tag, a Shirus moose tag, and there's not a doubt in my mind which broadhead I'm going to use this year because I know the Grim Reapers penetrate <laughs> so well and do such damage that I'm not even worried about it. And I just find that expandables are way more accurate than fixed blades for me, and so that's the route I go. And I get it. Like there's – there's uh, pros and cons to everything you use in archery, and there's pros to using a fixed blade as well, and that's why you guys offer them. Um, right. You know that you don't have to worry about them opening. That when you hit the animal right, you know he dies in that spot. Uh, they do penetrate really well because they don't take any energy to open up their uh, their their head or whatever. So you know there's pros and cons, but I just love your guys' expandable broadhead, man. It's like the best on the market.
1: Well, I'm a little biased, but I, I totally agree. So, yeah, you know, broadheads is always a a controversial topic for sure, and uh, you know, it's the the business end of what we do. It's it's ultimately what what inflicts the damage and bleeds an animal out, and and so there's always going to be controversy over the, But yeah, like I said, I've been here uh, as the national sales manager at Grim Reaper for 15 years, believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been here a long time. I've had more broadhead discussions than I can even rally <laughs> up at this point. And, and I've heard it all, you know, about every broadhead on the market. And, and, uh, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty passionate about Grim Reaper and about broadheads in general. And, and uh, so I think I can share a little insight that way as far as even just general insight as far as, you know, really things to look for when you're, when you're selecting a broadhead. That fits you and fits your hunting style and fits um, the animals you're going to be hunting. So, uh, jumping back to a couple things uh, you mentioned, you know, and, I, and let me give you a quick little background of Grim Reaper. We, we've been around for over 20 years. Um, we're really one of the only broadhead brands left in the industry that's still under original ownership, 100% made in America, in house in our own machine shop in Utah. Um, we get all styles of hunting. We're, we're Western guys being based in Utah, so elk hunting and, and mule deer hunting, that's in our blood. And, and a lot of our designs of broadheads are, are designed around Western style hunting. And, of course, we've, we've created a big diverse line of products that, that cater to whitetail hunting and different types of hunting. Um, and we have one of the biggest lineups of, of broadhead varieties on the market simply because that's all we do. We make broadheads. Um, we have great options that cater to anyone fixed, mechanical, and hybrid, a lot of different grain weights, cut hammers. But but jumping back to, to a couple of things you talked about, um, yeah, like you said, any broadhead, you know, people talk about field point accuracy, and and I will say it, I'll, I've said it a million times, there's nothing more important than accuracy shot placement, you know, putting that arrow where you need to put it, where you want to put it um, is the key. I, I'm, I'm vertically challenged as well. I have a 27 inch draw length. I've never, you know, I, I don't shoot a tremendous amount of energy. I shoot a very moderate setup and and my goal is shooting an animal in the lungs, you know, and, and, I'm not going to uh, blow through shoulders on an elk. I'm not, but I hunt accordingly. You know, I know what my abilities are and I don't want my broadhead of choice to dictate that. I want to feel confident in that if I pick my spot and I pick an angle that I, I, I know to be the angle I need to go through that animal. I don't want my broadhead to deviate from that. And so I, I sh- my first bit of advice is, is help with a broadhead that gives you confidence in that one, it's going to hit behind the pin two it's not going to deflect or change path on you. It's going to take the path that you, you visually see in your mind. You know, I got to tuck it back rib quarter through, come out in the pocket on the outside. That's what it does. So I'll, I'll explain why the broadhead you and I love so much. And, and, and when you talk about Grim Reaper's, I know which models you're kind of referring to because they're the same models I really love. But, yeah, number one, no broadhead on the planet will always fly identical to a field point because when you add any kind of profile up front, it creates additional drag and and surface that's affected more by wind. It's affected even even a great broadhead like our our mechanical heads slows down faster, faster. Than a field point, pretty significantly. I, a good buddy of mine, Kevin Wilkie, lives down the road from me, and and he set up his Chronograph to just test this out a couple of years ago. And even with our best mechanical heads, at 40, 50 yards, versus a field point, is still slowing down at 40 yards, seven or eight feet per second more. So there's more drag. It's just physics. No matter what anyone says, but it's still a super accurate broadhead. It's still, you know, very forgiving, much more so than a, a bigger profile broadhead or a fixed blade, but there always, always is going to be a, a, a difference between your field points and mechanicals. Now, a lot of, a lot of us aren't, you know, there's also the fact, the factor of um, there's very few people on the planet that are good enough shooters to separate that small amount of drag at 50, 60 yards, you know, um, there literally is, there's very few people that can shoot accurately enough with a bow outside of a machine that can separate that, that difference. But then you go to a bigger broadhead or a fixed blade in flight, the bigger you go in flight profile, the more, the more things become exaggerated the less forgiving they become. If there's a little wind, the more it's affected. If you don't execute a good shot, the more it deviates off course. So those are all things to consider. Um, but first and foremost, you've got to give the wind the accuracy period. And a, and a good mechanical rodhead gives you better forgiveness and more accuracy. That's not even an arguable point. Um, the best shooters in the world will tell you that they're handicapped to some degree by a fixed plate. They just are because it's it's got more – even if they shoot and execute perfect shots, it's got more blade surface and, and effect by the wind, et cetera. So when it comes to just straight-up forgiveness and sheer accuracy, a good quality mechanical gives you that. Now, there's gives and takes, like you said. Um, you know, if blades going to offer you, you don't have any kind of deployment mechanism. Uh, they're always open. They – They penetrate really well, and I'm going to clarify a little bit on something you said. They don't penetrate better because there's not blades opening, per se. They penetrate better because they're smaller, and they usually have a much steeper blade angle. Um, With today's modern setups and with our particular design, Grim Raper's design, the amount of energy used to deploy blades is really negligible. It's not even really measurable, and all the testing we've done takes takes nothing, right? You're shooting a bow at 280, 290 feet per second, whatever. Deploying our blades isn't the issue. It's once blades are deployed on a mechanical broadhead, how much blade surface are you trying to push through, and at what blade angle? Those are the couple things that really dictate penetration. Um, for, you know the broadhead that you and i love what makes it so great And it's my favorite all-time broadhead what i shoot elk with shot a nice canadian moose with it last year i'll shoot anything in north america with it, it is a three blade inch and three-eighths cut i shoot our pro series model it's a moderate cut but what makes it special it's got a really sweat blade angle when the blades are deployed um, and a moderate amount of blade surface So, yeah, it's bigger than a fixed blade, but it still has the attributes that make it penetrate really, really well while giving you forgiveness and accuracy and also still maintaining great penetration because of the moderate cut and the sweat blade angle. Whereas if you jump up to some great big two inch, two blade rod head, now you've now you've increased blade surface, but you've also really bumped forward that blade angle. So you're chopping through things versus slicing through things. So that's really when you're looking at a broadhead, open it up or look at a fixed blade broadhead, compare them. The more blade surface you have, I'm not talking cut diameter on the package. I'm talking open the blades up. If you were to push that broadhead through a piece of paper, how much paper gets cut. That's total blade surface. So... That changes with two blades, three blades, four blades. The more blade surface you have and the flatter blade angle you have, it's going to just take more energy to push that through an animal. The less blade surface you have, the more steep, swept back blade angle you have, that's going to penetrate better. So fixed blades, yes, they penetrate better. Why? Not because they don't open, but because they're smaller and they have – way steeper blade angles on average usually 30 degrees ish like on our our fixed blades they have a 30 degree blade angle so a uh, inch and 16th cut fixed blade with a 30 degree blade angle is going to out penetrate an inch and a half cut mechanical with a 50 degree blade angle all day long not because it's fixed but because it's smaller and has a steeper blade angle so when you're picking a broadhead you're hunting a big animal or you're shooting lighter setup or you're shooting lower energy um you know, look at those couple things. Look at blade surface, look at blade angle. Those are what truly dictate penetration. Also throwing another thing into it. The flatter the blade angle, the bigger longer the blades, the more potential there is for that blade at a to hit a bone or whatever and and try to deflect or or try to turn your arrow sideways and take energy take forward momentum away so that's why fixed blades or like our inch and eights three blade mechanical penetrate so well because even when it hits a rib or whatever that blade being so swept back and being shorter to the center mass of your arrow doesn't act like a big lever arm to kick your arrow side to side and rob energy it slices through or across the bone or whatever it hits and keeps going on a straightforward path so number one point of piece of advice picking a broadhead, just really focus on blade surface and the blade angle when the blades are deployed um, to, to pick out, pick your poison for whatever animal you're hunting. If you're shooting a big animal, find something that's got a moderate cut and a sweat blade angle. If you're hunting white-tailed deer at 20 yards out of a tree stand, those are the scenarios where it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, to be blunt, I can throw on a big two-inch cut, three blade huge broad head with flatter blade angle and at twenty yards punch it through a white-tailed deer in the ribs. Devastating, not gonna go far, right? It, it really doesn't matter at that point. But but you're on the ground pounding it and you're gonna take a 70-yard shot at a big huge seven-year-old mule deer. I want, I want that moderate cut, that pinpoint accuracy, that swept blade angle, those things that if I execute and I do my part, it's going to give me the penetration to kill the animal. Um, so the gives and takes, yeah, a fixed blade on certain scenarios is going to give you more penetration for sure if you hit heavy bone or whatever because of how small it is. Um, but it's not a fix all there's parts on an elk shoulder I'm just not going through period and it's a gamble to me I'm not taking that shot intentionally ever because there's the potential there for it to go really bad but I know if I I put my broadhead mechanical or fix through both lungs it's going to serve me well and then on the flip side you hit an animal a little bit back that bigger cut diameter might save you you know cut a little bit more and make the animal sicker quicker or put a little more blood on the ground so there's gives and takes everywhere like you mentioned but ultimately picking a broadhead that gives you ultimate confidence and hitting where you want to hit going through the animal on the path that you really want it to go um, and and having confidence in that and then putting the rest on your shoulders to execute and make a good shot you're going to get your critter people can argue all day long but but I've shot lots and lots and lots and lots of animals with the R-inch and 3 three-blade mechanical because it's that happy medium for me. It's not too big. It's not too small. It still penetrates really well because it's a moderate-cut swept blade angle. That's the the what I'm looking for, something that gives me the best of all worlds. Um, and and then I put it on my shoulders to, to hunt accordingly and, and do my part and a – Typically works out well if I I do my part. So, um, but yeah, that's that's my biggest piece of advice. You know, um, whether you shoot heavy or whether you shoot light, or that's all personal preference. We all have our opinions there. And there's this huge craze for big heavy FOC. Um, again, I kind of lean towards middle of the road there, where I, I keep a, a moderate amount of weight and energy, but I still maintain a good aeroflight trajectory for forgiveness on longer shots, etc um everything i do is is kind of right down the middle cut diameter of my broadhead, weight of my arrow i'm pretty and that's just me it just works well for me um and i hunt a lot of different species each year and a lot of different scenarios so um but uh yeah i know that's a lot thrown into a quick little segment but that's my advice when selecting a broadhead
0: No, that's beautifully put. You're just, uh, you're experienced with broadheads and working with this company and then being such a diehard bow hunter yourself. Like you, you get to learn these lessons and everything you described is exactly what I believe. And I'm the same. It's, uh, with the arrows, like, yeah, uh, a heavier arrow will always penetrate better, but you lose that range forgiveness out, out at distance, you know? And so it's, it's like finding a happy medium where you can get great penetration. You also can get range forgiveness and, and with my setups, I'm always looking for forgiveness and accuracy like you stated. If I hit that animal in the middle, he dies. And and I just want uh, the most forgiving setup I can get. So if I make a small error in my form or if I have more wind than I figured during my shot, I still hit the middle. And there's this um, – like – People that have a bad experience want to blame that bad experience on the broadhead for some reason, you know. And so you'll get people that that never want to shoot an expandable because they hit a deer once, and that deer got away, and it's because the blades didn't open or they've always got some excuse. And to me, it's all about where you hit them. It's all shot placement and – and I just find, uh, I, I like that you corrected me too about the blades opening, uh, how that's not what robs energy. That, you know, a fixed blade may get you a little bit better penetration, so it's going to make it more forgiving if you hit a shoulder. But I like what you stated about uh, the expandable, how they're going to be a forgiving shooting head. And if you do miss your spot and you hit back or you hit low or you hit high, that bigger inch and three-eighths cut is going to give you a better chance to recover that animal than, say, a fixed blade in that same spot. And So you could actually make a case for expandables giving you a better chance at harvesting that animal when you do hit them. And, and, and I love the the talk about deflection, penetration, like the... The whole layout that that you talked about is just really beautifully put. That's that's all this knowledge gained from you, from your personal bow hunting and and your buddy's bow hunting, and then. Um guys you talk to through grim reaper and your experiences through the company and yeah uh you may be a little biased but it's for good reason those grim reapers are such good heads and they just do their job they're just super accurate super forgiving and when you hit them in the right spot they die you know and so um that's why it's been my broadhead of choice for the last 15 years and will continue to be uh, i just love the the heads you guys produce and um and I, I love the information that you just gave guys in choosing a setup that's right for them and you started that whole conversation by saying uh, shoot something that you have confidence in like confidence is king in the mountains like knowing that that broadhead is going to hit behind your pin like you stated that's everything you know and if you have that there's a lot of animals that are going to die no matter which head you're shooting you know and so building that confidence in the head that you're shooting and and making sure um you know if you hit that animal right he dies and 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 it's all about shot placement and so you know i want to shoot a real accurate forgiving head um but yeah we definitely have the same schools of thought on heads uh and, and i know a lot of our hunting buddies have the same thoughts yeah. on them and have learned those same things throughout time. But, um, yeah, man, that's amazing layout for guys. Just a bunch of information there about heads and how they perform and, and what you need to decide upon. And yeah, I notice it as well. Um, you know, I had had to shoot fixed in Idaho, which I, I haven't read myself, but I heard they changed the rule this year where they're going to allow expandables. But I know I had to practice so hard with fixed blades leading up to these Idaho hunts just to make sure I'm accurate. And they do create more drag. And so I'd have to build special sight tapes for fixed blades versus expandables. And, um, you know, I just noticed they weren't as forgiving. I had to work with them a bunch. I had to execute perfect shots. And then to be honest, my effect, range went down 10 or 15 yards using a fixed versus an expandable and so uh, that's where if the law allows me i'm going to be shooting an expandable broadhead because it is so forgiving and, and i just love like for expandable broadheads uh, your inch and three-eighths gosh i get pass-throughs at at uh, longer ranges i get pass-throughs on big animals like they just you guys have have done the work those broadheads penetrate really really well
1: Yep, for sure, and and yeah, I'll jump back. Idaho has legalized mechanicals, so that is official, and and that was the last remaining state um, that uh, that hadn't. So that's good info for people out there that maybe didn't know that you you can shoot a a mechanical in Idaho. I've been told a lot of questions and talking to a lot of dealers up in Idaho, and. And, uh, absolutely. And, it, and if you want a good, do all broadhead, that ancient traits is definitely the route to go. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it comes down to, I don't care when I talk to guys, I don't care if you want to shoot a fixed or a mechanical or a hybrid, we sell them all. There's a lot of good broadheads out there that'll get the job done, but figure out what works for you and your hunting style. Do the work to be confident in the broadhead you put on the end of the arrow and then and then put put it on your shoulders to execute. You know, if you make a bad shot, it's not the broadhead's fault. It, You know, I talked to all these guys that, like you said, have this experience, well, I shot a deer once and mechanical fail. How do you know it fell? Well, I didn't get my deer, so it obviously didn't work. You know, perfectly shot animals die, whether it's a little fixed blade, whether it's a a big mechanical, a perfectly shot animal through the lungs, through both lungs or through the heart, they just die. Even if a mechanical broadhead failed to deploy, which that's not ever the case with our broadheads, you shoot it through both lungs, that animal's going to die, right? Um, And so... You know, it's it's an easy out for guys, I think, at times, that lose something, the, oh, I made a perfect shot and my broadhead must have failed me. Um, I don't accept that. You know, I, everything I've ever shot and hit perfectly, everything. Now, there's been a few, like, man, I'm not sure, and I've lost some animals, unfortunately, and there's always those questions in your mind. But everything I've always just really made that right shot expires, and, and – uh, you know, I, I, it's just important for people to take accountability and, and put in the work and have confidence. And if you're going to make sure that you've any you've, project, but make sure it is more, it does require more perfect execution on your shot. Um, and one thing I love about mechanicals, I, I shoot a lot. I shoot every day. Um but man, you, you know, things happen. You find yourself in weird angles on the ground, stalking an animal, or, or happen to change and adjust and execute shots and, and, and not standing feet apart on a range. Your, your form, you know, you may execute a shot in the field that isn't ideal or isn't perfect. And that mechanical gives me forgiveness where, where fixed play just frankly hasn't ever for me. Um, and I'm not condoning you know, relaxing up on your, your shooting form and your practice at all. I'm anal about it, but in the end, I want the most forgiveness I can have both, both, um, with my broadhead and my arrow trajectory. Uh, and that's why I hunt the way, you know, I use the setup I use is to base it around having forgiveness and pinpoint accuracy and then putting it solely on my shoulders to execute. And I get my, my So, um, but uh, I think if people take that advice and just, just go into the field with – I've shot the same broadhead essentially for so many years. You know, it's funny. I have so much confidence in our Inch and three-blade models that as, as working for Grim Reaper, there's times where I feel like, oh, I need to try this new broadhead or I need to test this or whatever, and I'll sit there, and most of the time I do my testing is – you know, if I'm tree stand hunting for whitetail back in the Midwest or something, but I'll sit there and I'll have a different broadhead knocked up. Even in my line, I'll have it knocked up on my arrow, and I'll sit there and I'm hunting, and I see a buck out in the field or whatever, and I'm staring at this broadhead. And pretty soon, man, it just gets in my head like, and I'll I'll reach in the back end of my quiver and grab my inch and three eighths and put it back on because <laughs> because I just you know I, I know it's gonna work, but. Mentally, I just have confidence so much in in that broadhead and how it flies and what it's going to do if I execute that. I have a hard time bringing myself to even test something else out, and it'll sit and eat at me, you know. So, um, yeah, just find something that you're confident in. Put the work and the effort in. It goes all goes back to that to be confident in a broadhead, whether that's a fix, whether that's mechanical, or that's a hybrid. Be smart about your choices. Look at the blade angle, the blade surface, like I referred to. Think it out like everything. Make sure you're you're well thought out and educated on, on the broadhead you choose. Get confident with it. And, and then you don't want that in the back of your mind. You don't want to be ranging a deer at 70 yards thinking, man, is this fixed blade? Is it gonna fly on me? There's a little breeze, you know. You don't when I like we talked earlier, get in your mind. Right and having your mind clear and being in that zone where I am not, never is my thought process is my broadhead gonna work when I'm when I'm drawn back on a big buck. That's the last thing on my mind. I'm focused on watching that deer's movement, I'm focused on picking my spot, going through my process, executing the shot. Everything's on me, but you don't want to have anything in your mind worrying about. If your equipment's going to fail you and that all comes from putting in the work, putting in the effort, having total confidence in your setup, your bro, your bow, your broadhead, your arrow, your shooting ability, and then, then execute. So that's, that's piece of advice, I guess, on broadheads.
0: It's perfect. Um, so I I must be out of the loop, and I, I don't think you're going to convince me to change. I love that inch and three-eighths pro tip, but um, I haven't seen or messed around with your guys' hybrid. Uh, so this might be like – I know these hybrids work really good, and for some guys that really believe in the fixed, it's like a really good option and a combination yeah. of both. Uh, uh, explain those to me a little bit, Matt, and I'll have to look yeah. them up and see them as well.
1: Yeah, so a, couple, a few years ago we created a Pro Series line. We call it. It's got our Pro tip on it. They're hand sharp, and it's a phenomenal tip. And and being a broadhead only brand, we we're, we're really diverse in our line, and and wanted to give great offerings in every category. So in our we have what we call our you know our our micro hybrids in our Pro Series line that are all built on a an inch and sixteenth fixed blade. And we have a couple different mechanical cut options um, in the the hybrid design. You know, there's still work on our no bands, no O-rings, our same blade deployment system on our mechanical heads. But so you basically got it. We have a – in our micro hybrid line, in, in 100 grain and 125 grain, we have one that's got a small inch and a quarter cut mechanical, and then the inch and sixteenth fixed. We have one that's got an inch and three eighths cut mechanical. The, the blade angle and the cut amber you and I love so much. So it's a two blade inch and three eighths by an inch and sixteenth fix. They all sport our our uh, Pro Series V-notch tip that's just phenomenal. It's hand sharpened. It's almost a cut on contact tip, but still crushes bone. So um, we have they fly really good because we've based our original hybrid had a bigger fixed blade and we still have those, but it had a bigger fixed blade which tended to lead to faster speeds and in wind, etc. Have a little more planning. So on our Pro Series micro hybrids, we went to the smaller inch and sixteenth fixed blade diameter just to make it a little more forgiving, and then we've made a couple mechanical cut diameter options in it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. It gives guys that are fixed blade guys the confidence that hey, I got these fi- these legal cut diameter fixed blades that are that are open and gonna do the job. Um, and then I've got these bonus mechanical blades when they deploy. Um, you know, for guys that want to dip their toes into into uh, playing with a mechanical blade, that's a great option. I'm seeing a lot of interest in them in Idaho this year with mechanicals being legalized and guys being so so accustomed to fixed blades, they're not sure they want to go full into a mechanical. So they're they're dipping their toes per se to, to try out a hybrid. Um, but they fly really good. Uh, they're 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 not as forgiving as a straight mechanical for sure because it, again it goes back to what we talked about. It's physics and it's in flight blade profile that dictate that. But they are very forgiving as far as fixed blades go. Um, they shoot really well. They they have a you know, kind of great wound channel, a four-blade type wound channel with two fixed, two mechanicals. So definitely a good option to look at. They're super solid. I've had a lot of – we have a lot of Western hunters using them for elk, um, for all kinds of species. We do have a couple bigger offerings in, in big, heavier grain weights that are kind of geared towards whitetail hunting and, and crossbow shooting. But, but out west here, man, the, the micro hybrid inch and three-eighths and inch and a quarter cut designs – are phenomenal and they work really well if you're interested in that style
0: of rodent. end yeah it's super cool it sounds like a great offering for guys um and those hybrids uh, uh like you say they um uh they maybe not as forgiving as a true expandable but also more forgiving than like a true fixed blade and um yeah it's a great combination of both so that'll be a great offering for guys i'm sure they'll um harvest a bunch of animals with that this year but uh Matt, you're the man, dude. I could talk to you, uh, all day, every day about bow yeah. hunting. You just have such great insight into it, man. And I, um, uh, I just really appreciate your friendship over the years and, um, we need to get together more or maybe put a hunt together, but dude, thanks so much for jumping on and sharing your knowledge with guys.
1: Yeah, always a pleasure, Brian. I always love talking with you and and, and likewise, I really appreciate the, the friendship and relationship over the years, so um definitely definitely been fun to chat and and i know we get long-winded and we could do this all day it's probably because we don't do it often enough but uh but yeah man it's been a real pleasure and, and happy to to share what knowledge i have anyways
0: yeah awesome man well good hunting this year i'll be cheering you on from the sidelines and uh, let's touch bases during season but yeah thanks again we'll talk soon take care brian all right guys that's the podcast Man, what a great conversation with Matt. Just such great insight into what it takes to be consistently successful. And I'm always... Surprised, I guess at this point with over three hundred episodes, I shouldn't be surprised that there's so many similarities in the mindset and in uh, uh, the tactics and in uh, the nuances of the stock. Like uh, I just have so much in common with a guy like Matt, but uh, he has paid his dues, consistently successful, has killed some great bucks. Uh, his hunting partners, Kip Fowler's, killed some great bucks. Uh, so, um, man, I really enjoyed the podcast. I really like having that guy on. Uh, also, just a reminder, we're going to be speaking in Heber City next uh, Wednesday, which is July 20th, um, so you can get your tickets at Fieldcraft Survival. We're going to do uh, a couple different talks. Uh, I know Kevin Estella is going to talk. Uh, I have a talk plan, Dan Picard, uh, Brandon Mason will be there, Guy and Ike. Uh, we're also going to do a dinner there, question and answer. Ought to be a really good time, so you can get your tickets at Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, Also, we'll have that Mule Deer School we're hoping to launch early next week, so we'll release that to you guys. Uh, a video library of hunting mule deer a to z Uh, information in there from a beginner uh, all the way to an expert will learn from it so uh, really proud and I I catch myself uh, you know I've been reviewing videos and making sure that uh, we have the content text we want in there and things of that nature and I find myself getting lost in the course uh, 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 listening to um, just mule deer information uh, both from me Dan from Guy Uh, so it's going to be amazing so i'm really excited about it that'll be released to you guys and um, make sure to uh, check out our sponsors black rifle coffee company the best coffee roasted i love all their different roasts Uh, let's see. My favorite here lately has been that silencer smooth is sure a good roast. Uh, They have a bunch of good ones. Um, uh, they also have their coffee subscription. They've got their instant coffee and their tea bags and I'll be using their instant coffee all hunting season long. It's what'll fuel me and my buddies. I'll have a bunch of those little packets in my pack uh stashed away I'll, even i'll i'll uh, uh bring twice as many as i need in the backcountry because they are so lightweight and coffee just makes me feel human back there so make sure to check them out check out outdoor edge knife replaceable blade knives and uh also check out swagger bipods great bipods and shooting sticks um so man that's a wrap um closing in close to season here um Man, just having fun. Um, Been hanging out with my family. Uh, Been working a bunch, of course. Uh, My personal house, finally going to set the trusses here. Been waiting to set these two giant stones. So I believe I've got the crane um, ready to go Monday. Get these trusses set. Get my roof put on. Get things weather tight. Get the sub started in there. Uh, Projects are coming good. We're making good headway. So, um, yeah, we'll be set for hunting season here. So doing that. Uh, training, getting in some runs, getting in my shooting, all the necessary stuff, getting my mind right for these hunts and, uh, starting the planning phase. In fact, I've got to start doing some meals and things of that nature, but, um, uh, it's all going to come together. A super adventure ready to cut these legs loose and go walk around with my bow and arrow as I'm sure you guys are too. So hopefully you've got some good adventures planned and, um, keep working hard towards your goals. Season's coming. And, uh, one season gets, gets here it's that's not the time to improve your skills you know that the time to really work on your skills and your fitness and your mindset is right now leading up to it because once season's here you have the skills that you have um so yeah keep working hard towards your goals i really appreciate you guys and your support with everything the the videos social media the podcast continues to grow just so proud of what we built and um Uh, So proud of you guys and and your accomplishments. And, um, man, I'm constantly getting uh, texts and pictures and things of that nature and um, uh, also getting messages about guys getting excited for tags and different hunts they have coming up. So I'm cheering all you guys on. And with that, um, man, that's a wrap. I'll check in with you next week.